What's up, divers? Welcome into the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast, where I take a deep analytical look at fantasy football and combine it with a common sense approach to lead us to some titles. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor, and before we get started, remember you can follow us on Twitter at Deep Dive FF, on Instagram at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, and as always, check out the website, deepdivefantasyfootball.com. And with that being said, let's get to the content. What's up, divers? Welcome into the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast. Today, we are continuing our wide receiver week, and I will be going over my wide receivers from 13 to 24. But before we do that, let me just give you guys a recap, 1 through 12, with my tiers. My wide receiver one, obviously, of course, Michael Thomas, and then I have a tier break. Then I have Devontae Adams at 2, Julio Jones at 3, and DeAndre Hopkins at 4, and that ends my second tier of wide receivers. Then I have Chris Godwin at 5, DJ Moore at 6, Tyreek Hill at 7, and that finishes tier 3 of my wide receivers. And basically my tiers are just when I find a significant enough of a difference to separate the group by saying, for example, my wide receiver 8, Tyler Boyd, I would not draft over my wide receiver 7, Tyreek Hill, therefore I put a tier break there. So starting from tier 4, I have Tyler Boyd at 8, Juju Smith-Schuster at 9, Calvin Ridley at 10, Allen Robinson at 11, and where we left off yesterday, Mike Evans at 12. Now, we will be continuing that tier. The tiers are starting to get bigger, and there's more room for basically your own personal preference and how you want to draft these receivers, depending on how you build your team. And we're going to start that off today at wide receiver 13 with Kenny Galladay. Look, Galladay was great last year, but one thing that does concern me is that there's new targets in the offense. You have DeAndre Swift added, and he's a receiving running back. Let's not forget that carry-on is also a good receiving running back. So if they're both healthy, the running backs might get a little bit more usage in the passing game. Plus, Marvin Jones hopefully plays 16 games. I believe he only played 11 last year. And TJ Hawkinson may see an expanded role from his rookie year last last season. So Galladay's not going to absolutely dominate the target share. He's not going to just be the only guy there who's just getting all the targets. Plus, we all know how good Stafford was last year for fantasy. Well, here's the thing. He was producing career outliers. Do I expect Matthew Stafford's career outliers to continue? No, of course not. It was an outlier. So while I think Matthew Stafford is going to be good and he's going to have weapons and Kenny Galladay is going to be good, I don't see him in that realm of like top eight where some people see him. Some people, I've even seen him rank him at five or six. So I don't have him that high, but I'm still pretty high on him. Obviously, I have him at 13 in a tier that could put him actually all the way up to eight, except I think that there's a big enough difference between him and the PPR studs of Juju and Boyd in front of him that, you know, I feel comfortable with him at 13. So one other thing, one last thing before I move off Galladay, we may see the Lions have a better run game because they have two efficient backs. Carry on. Look, whatever you want to say about carry on, when he's healthy, you can't say he's not good. He's good when he's healthy. And DeAndre Swift, we all project to be really good in the NFL. He was my running back one in this year's draft class coming in. And so with those two guys, if they are able to run the ball a little bit better, maybe they choose to do so a little bit more often. And if they do that, maybe Matthew Stafford's not going to throw it as much. That also takes a little bit of targets off Galladay's plate. So I have him projected at 10 touchdowns, 123 targets, 70 receptions, and just about 1,200 yards. Then at wide receiver 14, still in the same tier, this tier is actually going to last all the way to 17, I have Adam Thielen. 
So the Vikings are primed to throw a lot this year. Here's the thing. They lost three cornerbacks, and guess what? All three were their starters last year. They lost all three starting cornerbacks. Yes, I know they had a good draft. I know they drafted a corner. I know they got Jeff Gladney. I know that they have young corners that can possibly, you know, be decent starters. But when you lose three starting cornerbacks, there's no denying that that is that group is going to be worse, especially in an offseason like this. Not only that, but they also lost Linval Joseph, a pretty good defensive tackle. And it looks like, I don't think I've heard, or I know I haven't heard, but I don't think there's been any new news on Everson Griffin. But it seems like from the last thing I saw, he's really not trying to stay in Minnesota. So they might lose Everson Griffin too, which is one of their bookends being the other Daniel Hunter. So they're losing three starting cornerbacks, a good defensive tackle, probably going to lose a good defensive end, and they lost Stephon Diggs. You're telling me Thielen is not going to be good for fantasy? I know a lot of people think he is. Most of us do. But there are a few people out there, you'd be surprised, that are not high on Thielen at all. Thielen is going to be a stud. He's going to see a whole bunch of targets. And trust me, I would be completely fine if you want to take him that wide receiver eight. If you want to move him all the way to the top of this tier, I understand it because he has huge, huge target upside. And in PPR especially, he could just, he could be a league winner. It's possible, especially where he's being drafted in like the fifth round. He could definitely be a league winner, especially if he lands on the right side of touchdowns. Because him and Diggs were always kind of just going back and forth with touchdowns. Neither of them ever really hit like a high, like 10, 11, 12. If Thielen is able to hit that on top of the targets, receptions he's going to pull in, he's going to be a beast. And he also has a great floor. He's one of, you know, the guys that's consistent week to week. And he's one of my favorite redraft wide receivers to take this year. Then at wide receiver 15, I have Tyler Lockett. I am firmly in the exact middle of the Lockett versus Metcalf. Uh, debate because Lockett and Metcalf are last year first off last year they were both very similar in target share and whatnot here's the thing Lockett's going to be better for PPR he's more efficient with his targets in terms of pulling in receptions he has a higher catch rate Metcalf is probably going to be better in half PPR and standard leagues because while he has a lower catch rate he's not going to have as many receptions off a similar target share he's going to have just as much, if not more, yards because he's a bigger play threat, even though Tyler Lockett's a, a great big play threat. But DK just goes down the field on average, runs you know farther routes from the line of scrimmage than Tyler Lockett does. Plus, DK and Lockett both have, I have them projected for the same amount of touchdowns at nine, but DK probably has a bigger ceiling in the touchdown category than Lockett. DK has, because of his body style and you know, Russell Wilson, if they just work on chemistry and DK starts pulling down some more red zone passes, his touchdowns will be better and he might be able to get 12, 13, 14. So yes, Tyler Lockett is at 15. So why am I talking about DK? Well, DK's at 16 for me. I did not do that on purpose. Um, it's happened a couple times in the past. For those of you guys that have been listening for a while, you know that basically my process is I do my projections and put in my numbers and everything. And the last thing that happens is it pumps out the points for me in my Excel sheet. And then I just order, you know, everybody buy points, obviously. And so Lockett and Metcalf happen to be right next to each other. I think they're both going to be great. I apparently am higher on the Seahawks passing game than most. There's plenty of reasons why I feel that way. One thing 
that is pushing me towards that direction is just like the Vikings are probably going to pass a little bit more because of the losses on the defensive side of the ball. The Seahawks lost a lot of people too. They lost Michael Kendricks. He's a really good linebacker in that group that they have. They lost defensive tackle Quentin Jefferson. They lost defensive end Ezekiel Ansa, and they're probably going to lose Jadeveon Clowney. He hasn't signed anywhere yet, so it's possible he still signs in Seattle. But if he goes away from Seattle, then they're missing a whole bunch of people. Now, obviously, they added Jamal Adams. That's going to help. Trust me, I know that. And they have some young guys. Maybe they take a step forward. But unless the young guys take a huge step forward and Jamal Adams is balling out and like super good in coverage, which is not the strongest part of his game, then that defense is probably going to be worse. The Seahawks are probably going to play catch up a little bit sooner in games. So they're going to throw more. And also, you have Metcalf coming into year two, and now you have Lockett and Metcalf with Russ. Maybe that all all by itself is going to let that team throw the ball more. Maybe. And so there's two possible you know, directions or routes that I think it's one of them is definitely going to happen that causes the Seahawks to throw more this year. So that's why I like Lockett and Metcalf. So like I said, Tyler Lockett 15, DK 16. I will take Lockett first, but... Really, because I have them right next to each other, I'm just taking whoever falls farther in the draft. Usually, they're not right next to each other. You Usually, somebody's really high on DK and will take him around higher than Lockett, or somebody's high on Lockett and, you know, we'll do Lockett higher. Then, we finish off the tier. Remember, I told you, finishes at 17. We finish off the tier with AJ Brown. AJ Brown was an absolute beast last year, no question. And I was really, really worried, especially because especially back in March... A.J. Brown was like the 10th receiver off the board. Some people were taking him as like the 8th or ninth receiver off the board. People were talking about him as already right now being a locked-in top 10 dynasty wide receiver. And I was worried that I was going to be fighting an uphill battle on that all season, or all offseason, I should say, in the fantasy world. But thankfully, everyone came around pretty quickly. I would say probably about two months ago, I saw the ADP shift. And A.J. Brown's now the 17th wide receiver taken off the board. Or, sorry, that's where I haven't projected. But he's about, like, between 15 and 18, I believe, as the wide receiver taken off the board. So he's in a great spot now. Now I don't mind drafting him. Because, obviously, last year, he had insane efficiency. Insane. The entire Titans offense did. It's highly unlikely that he averages anywhere near last year's mark of 20 yards per reception. That is so much. Plus, he's not that type of receiver. Usually, who are the guys that average yardage like that? Guys that are like Deshaun Jackson. Guys that are, you know, just burners that go down the field. That's not what A.J. Brown is. That's not his only role. He's a great, well-rounded receiver who's a good route runner, and he's going to be everywhere. So he's not going to be averaging 20 yards per reception. I do see him getting more yardage this year as a whole because I think he's going to see an expanded role. I think he's going to be getting more targets this year. But in a run-heavy offense, it's going to be hard for him to get the targets needed to be an elite player like he was during the stretch last year. Last year, during that stretch, he didn't have a lot of targets either. But like I said, insane efficiency. He took like three or four catches to the house for like 40-plus yards. That is not going to be something that happens nearly as often. So I like A.J. Brown, but don't expect what you were saying last year in that stretch towards the end of the season. I have him at 113 targets, 72 receptions, 1,100 yards, 8 touchdowns. And just real quick to go back and touch on Lockett and Metcalf. Like I said, I had them both at 9 touchdowns. I have DK actually, and this might be, you know, something you disagree with, but I have them really close, so it shouldn't be a problem. 
I have DK at 125 targets to Lockett's 119. So I think DK is going to get a little bit more. Because if DK was getting pretty much the same target share as Lockett last year as a rookie, and he's supposed to see an expanded role, I feel like he's probably going to pull past Lockett a little bit. But I have Lockett with more receptions, 85 to DK 77, and I have him pretty much at the same yardage, 1100. So that's the end of that tier with AJ Brown. So just to go back over this tier real quick, it's a big one. This is tier four. It's Tyler Boyd at eight, Juju Smith-Schuster, Calvin Ridley, Allen Robinson, Mike Evans, Kenny Galladay, Adam Thielen, the Seahawks receivers, and AJ Brown. So why do I put the tier break here after AJ Brown? Not just because of point differential in terms of my projection for AJ Brown and the next guy, Robert Woods, who I have at 18 to start off tier five, but also because all of those guys I just mentioned, especially the ones in the back of that tier, AJ Brown, DK, Thielen, Galladay, they all have potential to be like, they all have huge ceilings basically. And after AJ Brown, I think that ceiling kind of goes away. And so with Robert Woods, he's a guy who could be good, yes, with target volume, but the fact that he can never get to like eight or nine touchdowns or more, and all of those guys that I just mentioned could easily see double-digit touchdowns, it, you know, takes away his ceiling. So that's why I put a tear break right there. So Robert Woods at 18, he's a guy in an offense that I project to be among the league leaders in pass attempts. I believe I have Jared Goff throwing the second most amount of passes this year behind only Matt Ryan. So that's already one great thing going for him. And then last year, once they switched to a 12 personnel heavy formation with Tyler Higby out there, and he started dominating, and he was on pace to be the tight end one with in, within that stretch, and Cooper Cup got involved less, Robert Woods was the main beneficiary. He was on pace for like 160 targets in that stretch. That's off the top of my head, so I might be a couple targets off, but... He was just dominating. He was the clear wide receiver one. Cooper Cup was nowhere near him. Cooper Cup was only averaging six targets a game down from 11. And, you know, we're going to get to Cooper Cup soon too. So Robert Woods is just somebody with such a high floor. Ridiculous. And weekly consistency. Honestly, I'm somebody that goes so hard in the running back position in the beginning of drafts that Robert Woods would be my could be my wide receiver one in a couple leagues. I'll be fine with it. Because, I mean, you know what you're getting from him. You're getting a safe, like, eight points minimum every week, and you're getting up to, like, 15, 20, sometimes on a, a huge week, like, one of the few weeks where he actually gets a touchdown. You might get a 25 or something. But, you know, he's a great receiver to have in there. I love consistent receivers. Consistency is key when it comes to fantasy football. Because if you have guys that are up and down winning you weeks and losing you weeks, look, once it gets to the playoffs, you can't be dealing with that. You don't want to to just have somebody on that week that's bad, you know? And the guy we're going to get to next is one of those guys, and that's why I'd, I'm not drafting him at all. And that's Amari Cooper, my wide receiver 19. He's the the 1A. He's not the number one wide receiver in Dallas. Like, you can believe he is, and if you believe that, that's fine, but he's he's not. He's like 1A. It's not a clear distinction between him and Gallup. Gallup is the 1B. Yeah, it really is that close. Gallup and Amari last year with were within one point of each other in points per game. Gallup was on pace for more targets and more yards than Amari Cooper. Gallup just missed two games. I believe he only played 14. Amari had him beat in touchdowns if, like, you know, if you extend Gallup's uh, season to 16 games with the same pace. Amari had him beat in touchdowns and receptions. But we know how volatile touchdowns are, so that's already dangerous. The fact that that's pretty much the only reason he was better than Gallup. 
and it wasn't by much. Like I said, they were within one point of each other per game. Enter C.D. Lamb, and now Dak has a new threat to take touchdowns away. So you already had a guy that was volatile week to week. He sees a good corner, and he disappears. Amari Cooper is not somebody that I want on my roster. He's not somebody that you can trust. And now, one of the things that was going for him, compared to Gallup, the touchdowns, is a little bit more risky because of CeeDee Lamb. So, add all that stuff and the fact that he's inconsistent. He's not a guy that I'm going to be drafting, especially because he's being drafted way ahead of Michael Gallup. And Michael Gallup's probably not going to be too far off this year, just like he was in last year. I have Amari at about 115 targets, 75 receptions, 1,100 yards, 8 touchdowns. And then, just because I realized I didn't tell you guys about Woods uh, on his targets and stuff, I had him at 130. I had him at 5 touchdowns last year. I think he had 4. 84 receptions and 1,100 yards. So those are the first two guys at this tier, Robert Woods and Amari Cooper. Now, at 20, I have Cooper Cup. So the guy running, you know, uh, Woods is running me. So Cup runs the middle of the field pretty often, and so does Tyler Higby. Like I told you guys, during that stretch... Once Higby started dominating, Higby was getting 11 targets per game or 10 targets per game. And Cooper Cup went from 11 targets per game before that to six. That's a big difference. That's almost his role getting cut in half, 50%. And Goff was playing better once they started running that formation. So what's to say that they're not going to do that again? Like, even if you don't want to believe in the Higby Everett stuff, which, I mean, I've gone over that enough, so I'm not going to touch on that too much. But even if you don't think Higby's going to be crazy good, that formation was still successful for them last year. And it helped them. And it helped Goff be better and the offense be better. So why would they not continue that? Even if it's not Higby dominating and it's Higby and Everett together, it's still possible that they just run that same formation and it's going to hurt Cooper Cup. So do I think Cooper Cup has that top 10 upside? Not really. Not anymore. I mean, unless, like, one of those tight ends get hurt, unless you're talking injury-wise, then yeah, sure, he does. But I don't think Cooper Cup holds that, um, you know, ceiling that he does anymore. And that that it's hard for me to say that. Because last year, I was probably one of the highest guys you ever found on Cooper Cup. Last year, Cooper Cup was, in my rankings, wide receiver 8. And I was right. I was right on the Rams' offense. And hopefully I'm right again on the Rams' offense this year. This year, I have Woods as the the better guy, but they're so close. Woods and Cup at 18 and 20. That part doesn't matter that much. I just don't think that Cup is going to be, you know, one of those guys that's just winning you weeks, winning you leagues like he was last year. So don't put too much equity into him. I have him at 113 targets, 82 receptions, 900 yards, 10 touchdowns. And that's the other thing. Like, he's producing because of touchdowns. If he loses touchdowns, which I don't project by any means, but if it happens, he's going to be a lot less valuable than people are drafting him to be. So he's somebody that I think is just too risky. I don't want you guys to take a chance on him because I think it's going to hurt you. So, And there's so many good wide receivers. like There's no reason to take that chance. Then at 21, I have DJ Chark. DJ Chark is the dude in Jacksonville. They're probably going to pass more this year after losing so many pieces on their defense, some of those pieces being Calais Campbell, and AJ Boye. And not to mention Minshew's trying to save his starting job. That dude is going to let it fly. He's if he goes to like Fitzpatrick mode where he doesn't give a flying hoot about anything in terms of cuz there's nobody threatening his job behind him this year and you know everyone knows including him that the Jacksonville Jaguars are probably one of the top contenders to draft a quarterback next year. So Minshew needs to do one of two things. 
He neither he either needs to be good enough to make the Jaguars be drafting too late to be in a position to take one of the quarterbacks, so he needs to make them a good team basically, or either that or he needs to show some type of potential this year. Like he needs to do something crazy, like he needs to do some have some highlight plays, have some things that make offensive coordinators around the league, you know, whisper to their head coaches ear, "Hey, Hey, this guy, we should take a chance on this guy. You see this guy? He's a beast. We should take a chance on him. That, that's the second option. So either way, Minshew should ball out this season. And he's also had a whole offseason to prepare as a starting quarterback. He didn't have that before. You know, he was like a fifth or sixth round draft pick, expected to be the backup, wasn't working with the ones. Now he's, I mean, granted, it's it's a different type of offseason, but he's still getting working. And he's working with the ones, and he looks like he's in amazing shape. And he has, you know, I'm starting to talk talk about Minshew, like it's a Minshew podcast, sorry. So let's get back to DJ Chark. Basically, everything I'm talking about Minshew is to show you that he's going to have to throw the ball a lot, and I think he's going to be good. And that's going to benefit DJ Chark, of course. Some people are worried DJ Chark was just a fluke, that he was not, you know, somebody that's going to be a, a good wide receiver for and have a good career in this league. I don't think that. I think Chark is pretty good. And he finally had an opportunity with a halfway decent quarterback last year in Minshew. So I have him at 125 targets, 76 receptions, almost 1,100 yards, 8 touchdowns. And he's somebody that I like to take a lot too because of ADP. Like there's two guys in this tier, Robert Woods and DJ Chark. I've been drafting them in a lot, a lot of places. Then at wide receiver 22, I have Debo Samuel. So here's the thing. I haven't adjusted him yet because... We're not 100% certain he's going to miss games, at least, you know, at the time of recording this, I do record my podcasts earlier than they release, obviously. Um, at the time, time of recording, like, it's not official that Debo's going to miss a certain amount of games that he's going to be put on PUP or anything like that. So I still have not adjusted his 16-game projection. So I have him at wide receiver 22. But here's the thing. It doesn't, you know, even if... It comes out that, hey, Debo's going to miss, you know, three games or four games or like, you know, it's just a projection. Or if he gets put on the pup and he's going to miss six games. Here's the thing. That should not make you think that this ranking of Debo Samuel is irrelevant. Because when I do my rankings, I project everyone to be healthy for 16 games. So basically my ranking is by points per game. So, because I mean, it is by points per game. I don't project anyone to injury. The only time I don't have somebody ranked by points per game is if they're already suspended. Like Antonio Brown, if he landed somewhere, I wouldn't project him for a 16-game season, obviously. Um, and I wouldn't put him in my rankings by points per game. I'd put, do it by total points. But here's the thing. I have him as a wide receiver, two in points per game. If And he's going late right now because of all the injury concern. If you can get him in, like, round 9, round 10, he's your wide receiver, 4 or 5, that's a great deal because when he comes back, I think he's going to be really good. And either you can use him or you can ship him off to somebody because you're getting a wide receiver two when healthy, a back end wide receiver two granted, but still nonetheless a wide receiver two. So that's somebody I like taking, especially because I'm pretty confident when I'm drafting in my team. And if you're one of those guys, I hope you guys are since you guys listen to this podcast, you know, um, <laughs> but Debo Samuel is a guy that, you know, if you're confident in your wide receiver core, why not just take him at the back end of it and let him sit there, marinate, and then be ready to go once he's healthy. Then at 23 and 24, I'm going to kind of just talk about them together. Once again, I did not do this on purpose. It's just how it happened. I have Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry. Here's the thing. 
the Browns are shifting to a more run-heavy approach this year. Last year, and you might think that's insane because they ran the ball a lot last year. Just listen to this. Last year, the Browns ran the ball 43% of the time. Obviously, that means they passed 57% of the time. Their new head coach, offensive coordinator, Kevin Stefanski, who came from the Vikings, the Vikings ran the ball 51% of the time to 49% pass. So let me tell you this. Yes, there is improvement for the Browns to run the ball more than they did last year. They could easily go from 43% last year to 47%. Is that not reasonable? Look, I know their defense is not as good as the Vikings. If it was as good, well, the Vikings defense last year, the Vikings defense this year is probably going to be not, you know, not looking good. But at least not saying they're going to be horrible, but they're not going to be anything what they were like last year. So if he could run the ball 51% of the time last year with just pretty much Dalvin Cook as like the guy, the dude there, and he's injury prone, and they had a good defense, now coming to the Browns, who honestly, I think they're going to have a pretty good defense and they have two really good running backs, not just Dalvin Cook, who's also injury prone. They have two really good running backs that are both sturdy, not injury prone in Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And I mean, honestly, if if he had the same defense, if the Browns had the same defense as the Vikings, I would definitely project them to run about 50% of the time because having two great running backs that are sturdy gives you more confidence than having one who gets hurt all the time every season. So Stefanski comes from the Vikings to the Browns, is going to probably have them run the ball a little bit more. Not a lot more. I only have him running the ball, I think, 46.5% of the time this year. So an increase from last year for sure. But um, I think they're going to run the ball more. And it's going to hurt everybody in the receiving game. And it's going to hurt Baker. That's part of the reason I have Baker a little bit lower because he's not somebody that runs the ball a lot. He does have some rushing stats, but he's not going to run a lot and he's not going to pass enough. So it hurts the targets that are available for Beckham and Landry. And now they have Austin Hooper and they still have David Njoku. And they drafted one of my favorite guys in the draft, Donovan Peoples-Jones, RIP. I hope you find your way to a starting spot soon. Um, Because obviously he's not going to pass Landry and Odell. So maybe Odell can do something stupid and get kicked out of Cleveland, get traded or something. Um, But yeah, so... That's why I have Odell and Landry at 23 and 24. They're still going to be target hogs in that offense. They're probably, just like they did last year, going to take about 50% of the target share. But it's going to be 50% of a little bit lower of a target share with them passing less. And here's the last thing on how the Browns ran the ball last year. Last year, they had Nick Chubb, and that was it for half the season. And then Kareem Hunt came back. So... If they had Kareem Hunt the whole season, it's possible that already by themselves, even if they ran the exact same offense this year as they did last year, which is obviously not going to be the case, they would have ran the ball more than 43% of the time because they would have had Kareem Hunt as well the whole time. So that's something else to keep in mind. So you're looking at a run-heavy team, a pretty good defense, and that is wrapping up my top 24 wide receivers next week, or not next week, next podcast on Friday which is when it will be releasing. We will talk about wide receivers 25 to 36. Granted, it'll probably be a little bit quicker. And then I'm going to talk about some sleeper wide receivers for both Dynasty and Redraft that you can get outside of the top 36. And I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Please reach out to a friend and you know tell them, hey, I got this guy. Sounds like an angel. I listen to him you know, three times a week. And... He's got some great info. 
obviously joking about the angel part. Um, he's got some great info, and you should check him out because he's a cool guy. And, you know, I want to help him get his podcast going. So if that's the case, if you're a cool guy, you know, somebody that likes to help your boy out, then go ahead and do that. Or a cool girl that wants to help your boy out, go ahead and do that. Uh, you know, let a few people know. Give me a rating. That takes like one second. And if you want, you could give me a review. That takes like 25 seconds, you know. So anything helps. Uh, I hope you guys have a good one. This is Deep Dive Fantasy Football. I'm Brandon Gabor, your host. Peace.